0: Alright, part three, I think, if somebody's keeping count, of Daniel chapter 9. My plan is to get to the final week, but I want to use the opportunity to make sure that everybody understands. So, when we talk about eschatology, which is the study of last days, uh, end times events, everything that we follow in terms of a premillennial, pre-trib, rapture point of view, which is not by any stretch the only point of view, everything we follow comes out of, and for everyone else, comes out of Daniel 9. So our understanding of the reasons why we interpret things the way we do come from our understanding that we have in Daniel chapter 9. So we begin in verse 24, 20, uh, 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. First point that you must not forget, this is about the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. And it says, these 70 weeks are decreed to accomplish six things. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet. And to anoint a most holy place. So these are the six things that have to be accomplished. So whatever you do in your 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel. It has to accomplish these things. So which usually requires us right to to define what those are. Ooh, That's loud. To define what those are and and why um, I believe the majority of these are fulfilled in the millennial reign of Christ. So we begin, right, to finish the transgression. Remember, that was about the apostasy of Israel. To finish the rebellion of Israel. Uh, Romans eleven twenty-five and 27. It reminds us, right, that lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of a mystery. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written... The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. So Paul wrote this in his epistle to the Romans. This has to be something that takes place, something we're looking for, the end of the rebellion of the nation of Israel uh, when her Messiah comes. Now I told you the beginning of the times in which the Gentiles trample the Holy Land starts at the Babylonian captivity. They don't ever gain control of themselves again. Now, the times of the Gentiles may be a little different than the trampling of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles usually are focused on the time of the church. And when we see the end of the church age come, then we'll see God's direction or attention once again turn toward Israel, typically uh, through the tribulation period, which we're going to get to in a minute, the final week of Daniel. Daniel. Okay, they're going to make an end of sins. We talked about this, right? Sin over? Not yet. He will make an end of sins. There will be a final judgment of sins. Zechariah 13, 8 and 9 says, That in the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be cut off and perish, and one-third left alive. And I will put this third into the fire and refine them, as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. And they will call on my name, and I will answer them. And I will say, This is my people. And they will say, "The Lord is my God." So the the end of sin, the the final judgment. This is in terms of the nation of Israel. Uh, we also see the third thing to make reconciliation for iniquity. This is the atonement. This Jesus Christ wrought from the cross, right? He he accomplished the atonement, and so that has been laid uh, forward um, for us. Now, when we talk about making reconciliation for iniquity, we need to understand the scripture told us in Isaiah 59 and Isaiah 61 that God would become the redeemer for his people. So Isaiah 59 20 says a redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression declares the Lord. Isaiah 61 spoken of by Jesus in the synagogue in Nazareth said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When Jesus read this, he stopped right there. There's a comma there. To finish the sentence, you have not only to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. So, the idea is Messiah will proclaim both the year of the Lord, which we see in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, his uh, first coming, and in the second coming, Messiah will proclaim the day of wrath. So, this will be accomplished again the second coming of Christ. We see the setting up of the kingdom in the next three to bring in everlasting righteousness, the return of the King. Jesus Christ will return. He will set up his kingdom. We see it in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. He will deal wisely, execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, Yahweh Tiskanu, the Lord our Righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, He made him who knew no sin become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. He is the Lord, our righteousness. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, Every Christmas we look at, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be, what does it say? No end. Kingdom, right? The everlasting righteousness being established. Then he's going to seal up vision and prophecy. And we talked about this last time. I'm not going to spend very much time on it. I just want to remind you in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says this. In these... Uh, in the last of these days, he has spoken to us by his son. In the last of what kind of days? The days in which God is speaking to us. The end of prophecy. There's no new prophets. We talked about this last time. You can hit me up. We can, uh, we can discuss it. No new prophets. No new word. There's not another book we expect. There's not a third a testament that's coming. This is it. He has sealed up. It's, it is finished. Are there prophecies still to be fulfilled? For sure. And and we await those fulfillment, but there are no new prophecies coming. And then the last thing, to anoint the most holy. And I told you last time, that phrase in Hebrew indicates a place, not a person. So there will be an anointing of the most holy place. Most people would call it the millennial temple. You know, I believe the millennial temple are believers. The the Your body is a the temple of god but there is a sense in which jesus christ will anoint the most holy place in his kingdom that will come so several of these haven't happened yet and they didn't happen at the cross so we're, we are looking forward to their fulfillment future this is why i take a futurist point of view on daniel chapter 9 you remember i told you there are also people who look at daniel 9 as historical that it's all past so we can discuss that sometime if you want to as well, but uh, I don't have time tonight because we have a long ways to go and a short time to get there. So here's the command. We talked about this, the command that begins a prophecy. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a the prince, there shall be seven weeks, then 62 weeks, it shall be built again, the city and uh, with squares and a moat, but in troubled times. So he describes exactly how the rebuilding phase is going to go. So we want to know when to start the clock, right? 77s are determined for your people. And it starts from the decree to go and rebuild Jerusalem. Last time we talked, four decrees in the Bible. There are four decrees laid out in the Bible for us. Cyrus's decree goes to 538, happens at 538 BC. We can read about it in 2 Chronicles 36. It's about the temple. Uh, Darius is in 519 BC. We read about it in Ezra 6, 6 through 12. It's focused on the temple. Artaxerxes decree in 458 BC. We read about it in Ezra chapter 7, 11 to 26. It's focused on the temple. This makes our job a little easier. Artaxerxes Longimanus, March 14th, 445 B.C., is focused on the city. We can read about that in Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8, Nehemiah 6, 15. So on the 1st of Nisan, March 14th, 445 B.C., the clock begins. We saw a division, seven sevens, 49. That's a span of a year of jubilee. That's the time in which it took the children of Israel to rebuild the city and the wall. It was finished in one jubilee cycle. And uh, and so the wall was finished and the land was finished in that first 49 years. Then we have 62 sevens, 483 years, which would leave us a total of 69 sevens. Everybody with me so far? I'm losing you. We have 69 sevens, right? You have the first group, seven. Seven, 62 plus seven is 69. 69 sevens. And there's how many decreed for the people? 70. 70 sevens are decreed. The first section deals with 69 of them. The first 49, seven sevens, the rebuilding of the city and the wall. Then, 483 years after that, on April the 6th, 32 A.D., Jesus walked into Jerusalem. Down the hill. At the Mount of Olives. And the people shouted out. Blessed is he who comes. In the name of the Lord. Now remember last time I told you. There's, there's a lot of mathematics. That I want you to kind of understand. I follow the formula by Sir Robert Anderson. He used to just be Robert Anderson. But then he figured this out. And they knighted him in England for it. So. You have 69 sevens that lead us to Christ walking into Jerusalem. So you have what he did is he took, he recognized that there was a point in time on the calendar that previous to the Julian calendar that everybody changed from a 360 day year to a 365 day year. So prophetically, and you'll see the same thing in Revelation. Remember, we're going to see Revelation when they talk about, um, what is it, 1,240 days? Is that right? So where's my mathematician at? So you have the, the reference of days to three and a half years. And they're going to cover 360 day year. This is how it functions. This is how it's laid out. So he took the, the 430 years of 360 prophetic days... Um, And he came up with 173,880 days from March 14th to April 6th. That included the 24 days left between March 14th and April 6th. It included 116 leap years. And it, it landed right on the specific day, according to Sir Robert Anderson, right on the specific day that Jesus Christ walked into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Four days before the cross. It's pretty amazing, you no? Know? It's it's pretty amazing when you get down into it. Now, when you consider that, and you think about what the scripture tells us, in Luke chapter 19, in Luke chapter 19, verse 37, it says, we're, we're reading about that day, Palm Sunday. Jesus writing in uh, April 6, 32 AD, says, as he was drawing near, Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Do you remember what he told people as he healed them up until this day? Don't say nothing. Shh. Now, people did listen. But you're going to hear Jesus over and over again say, don't say nothing. My time has not yet come. But here on this day, they ask him, make your disciples be quiet. They're shouting out. The people are walking by. Um, and he says, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He said, if I tell them to be silent, the very stones would cry out. And then as he draws near the city, he wept over the place. uh, And said, would that you, even you, had known this day the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you, hem you in on every side, and tear you down to the ground. You and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the day of your visitation. So if Sir Robert Anderson is correct in his math, and he's counting from the correct time, he lands on that day where Jesus does something he didn't do any other time. And as they come in, Jesus says, I'm not going to tell him to be quiet. He's stoking the crowd. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he pronounces judgment on Jerusalem because they do not receive him as Messiah. Their eyes were blinded. This is part of God's judgment and ultimately the establishment of salvation for, for you and I and ultimately for the nation as well. Jesus Christ is coming to go to the cross. And, but as he comes, he announces... That judgment laid out for them so that they would understand this day was prophesied. So, according to Sir Robert Anderson, now you're going to hear, I don't want you guys to panic too much, you're going to hear a lot of dates. People are going to use a lot of dates when it comes to trying to nail down the time frame of Jesus. Do you know why that is? But they didn't have time X's. And they had weird habits where a king would come in and change the days of the month or the time of the month or just say it's a new year. And so getting the dates nailed down in the past is, is not simple. So the dates are dates and their dates, but when we look at the dates, Sir Robert Anderson brings, I'm going to give you what I, what I, why I consider this to be. The the view that I follow. I'm going to lay out for you why. Because I think he nails down the dates very well. In John 2.20 it says. Jesus said it has taken 46. or I'm sorry. The Jews said. It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it in three days? Now here's what we know. We know that the work began. On the temple. The refurbishing of the temple in 18 B.C. So, and we also know it was finished in 64 AD, which is six years before it was destroyed. 46 years from 18 takes us to 29 AD, the first Passover for Jesus. 28 is the baptism, we talked about that last time. 29, his first Passover. His last Passover would have been thirty-two A.D. Luke three one says, "In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor over Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene." Tiberius Caesar began his rule in August nineteenth of A.D. fourteen. The fifteenth year of Tiberius Caesar would be. 29 A.D., the first Passover that Jesus was in. Now, traditionally, the view is there are three Passovers that Jesus celebrated during his ministry, which would make his ministry how long? Three years long, which would bring that last date, April 6, 32 A.D., Jesus walking into Jerusalem to line up with the formula that Sir Robert Anderson developed in the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. It's pretty incredible. But you only have 483 years done. Right? There should be 490. 69 sevens. And then one more seven. It's supposed to be seventy sevens. sevens. Everybody still with me? I'll, I'll start over if we're not. We'll just keep going until we get it. Alright? So we have 69 sevens. That take us to this point. Now, verse 26 of Daniel 9. After 62 weeks, an anointed one will be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So sometime after the 69 weeks, the seven sevens that built the city, and then the sixty-two sevens that get us to the day Jesus walked into Jerusalem, sometime after that, I would argue four days, sometime after that, Messiah is Karat—that's the Hebrew word. Messiah is put to death. He is put to death. Now the Scripture says he he shall <clears throat> he shall have nothing. It is it is uh, you have a you have a, a textual variant. The idea here that ESV carries through the other uh, um, the other. Um, King James, New King James, will say not for himself. Um, So we're going to touch on both of those. But the point being, it's going to look like he's defeated. Yes? When Jesus died on the cross, they put him in the ground. That's it, right? Except it wasn't it. Except that it wasn't it. So Messiah is going to be put to death. But it will not be for himself. The Bible declares to us, Isaiah 53, that he laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So one of my favorite sections of Old Testament Scripture to look at in terms of the ministry of Jesus Christ at the cross is Isaiah 52, 13 through 53. Isaiah 52, beginning at verse 13, says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and will be exalted. As many were astonished at you. His appearance is so marred beyond human semblance And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they will see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Well, who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant... Like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. That's why he didn't have uh, blue eyes. (laughs) He may have had long hair if it was in. Or he may not have. Because he looked just like everybody else. He had no form that we should uh, esteem him or desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. He's hated. And we esteemed him. We did not value him. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. So the idea of those watching Jesus on the cross, oh, God's doing this to him. wonder what he did. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. I love Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So he does not die for, his, for himself. He dies for the sins of the people. It looks like defeat. It looks like all is lost. For how long? Three days. Yeah, you guys know the story, right? Um, It says in verse 8, Now by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living? He's got no generation left behind him, right? And uh, um, stricken for the transgression of my people when they made his grave with the wicked. So he died with the two thieves on the cross, made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich man at his death. When he died, he was put where? Rich man's tomb. The Bible, the, prof- the prophecies in the Bible are not, this is not Nostradamus, just so you know. They don't get it wrong. They, they don't, the Bible don't get it wrong. They tell us exactly the things that are going to take place. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The book of Acts tells us that. The the men did what was in their heart, but they did what God ordained to be done. That Jesus Christ would become the sin offering for whosoever believes. He goes on. He was put to grief... When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he will bear their iniquity. So he makes us righteous. That's not something we do. That's something Jesus Christ accomplishes at the cross, right? He makes us righteous. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He will divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death, was numbered with transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. So we see after the 62 weeks, after after Messiah is presented to the people, He's going to, according to Daniel chapter 9, be cut off, cut off, put to death. Not for his own sins, but for the transgressions of the people. It's going to look like he's lost it all. But he has not lost anything. And then the scripture declares to us the complete destruction of uh, the city and the temple. It says again, Daniel nine twenty six. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, the first prince was cut off. That's, both of these words is the word Messiah. But the first prince is Messiah, Jesus Christ, his first coming rejected. Then Jesus declared, he even said, I've come in my father's name and you won't listen. But another will come in his own name, him you will receive. There will be a prince that comes, and the people from whom this prince comes, this is the Antichrist, this prince is the Antichrist, will know what people he will come from because those people are going to destroy the the temple and the city of Jerusalem. Do we know who did that? 70 AD, Titus Vespasian destroyed the temple and the city of Jerusalem, and Israel ceased to be a nation. So that means there's a prince coming out of the, you've heard this phrase, revived Roman Empire. Have you heard that before? A conglomeration of ten kings. Remember the statue of Daniel? How many toes did he have? He had them all, right? Ten toes. It's a feet of iron mixed with clay. So it has a little bit of the strength of the old Roman Empire, but a little bit of clay is not very strong. And in that time, the destruction of all the nations is going, to, is going to take place. So he told us, who's going to destroy? The prince to come is going to come from them. The end will be as a flood. And, and to the end, there will be war. Desolations are decreed. So Israel is destroyed. And it's like floodwaters flow through Israel and scatter the people everywhere. Now, did God ever promise to retrieve them from the four corners of the earth? he did he said he would and I've shared with you before I don't believe that happened in 1948 okay I'm sorry we can argue anytime you want I enjoy arguing 1948 a nation was birthed again amen yeah but that, that's not but the Bible says when they are drawn from the four corners of the earth they're going to worship him as Lord they don't do that they don't do that so I'm, I'm looking forward to still to the fulfillment of this promise. Now, verse 27. See, you didn't think we could make it. Ten minutes left and only one subject left, the Antichrist. Now, I could cover that in ten minutes, right? <sighs> okay. It says in verse 27, And he, this refers back to the prince of the people who destroyed the city. So the prince of the people who destroyed the city is the Antichrist. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. That's Hebrew idiom. Hebrew idiom. When they they talk about the many or they talk about the land, they're talking about Israel. When they talk about the sea, they're talking about other nations, the chaos of the world, the place where you're afraid of all the other stuff. When they talk about the many or the land. So he's saying he, the Antichrist, is going to make a treaty with the nation of Israel for how long? How many weeks do we have left? One week. 69 weeks bring us to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now people ask me all the time, why did we stop... Why do we stop counting? Why isn't it just congruent? Why don't we just, we got 70 weeks, doesn't, shouldn't it just flow straight through? But you remember I told you about what Jesus read when he read from Isaiah 61, when he was uh, reading that in the synagogue in Nazareth. He stopped in the middle. He didn't finish it. So he's, he's I told you, Messiah is going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, Or a period of grace. Or what you and I might call a church age. And then Messiah is going to declare the day of the Lord. Which is a day of judgment. He stopped in the middle of that sentence. I don't believe it was accidental. I don't think Jesus does things on accident. So he stopped to let us know. That the death, burial and resurrection of Messiah. The 70 weeks go on hold until the time of the Gentiles is finished. And the time of the Gentiles finishes, in my view, the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church, the Lord's attention moves once again to the nation of Israel to bring that gathering to deliver her. And he doesn't deliver her in the beginning, he delivers her in Revelation chapter 19. And the Bible says when Jesus Christ returns at the battle of Armageddon, Jerusalem the armies of the world gathered around Jerusalem to wipe out Jerusalem. He comes with all his saints. So the good news is, if you are not pre-trib, it's okay. I've mentioned this a lot of times. I used to have a discussion with a fellow named John Roberts. I don't know if you guys knew John. John was a mid-trib believer. He's my friend. We had many great discussions. And he died and went to heaven. He beat me to heaven. So now he agrees with me. So I appreciate that. Uh, the, uh, this is what I know that the Bible teaches beyond a shadow of doubt. That a believer in Jesus Christ is not appointed unto the wrath of God. Now a lot of people can define the wrath of God in a lot of different ways. Okay? So we want to have grace for one another. Some people say the wrath of God is not really poured out to the midway point of the tribulation. Some say the wrath of God is not really poured out until the very end of the tribulation. I say the wrath of God begins at the beginning of the tribulation. Okay, That's why you have different views, different timings of the rapture. But none of us believe that the church is to go under the wrath of God. Do you know why? The Bible says in Thessalonians, For you are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, because he bore the wrath of God for me. So I don't bear the wrath of God. The ultimate wrath of God, ladies and gentlemen, is hell. Does a believer go to hell? No, the Bible says that we will be with Christ forever, right? So we will be with him. So as we look at this last part, the reason why there's a gap, the gap has been 2,000 years, is because we are in a period of time known as the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus read in the synagogue. He, he stopped where he stopped in Isaiah 61 to tell us we are in the time of the Lord's favor. Or you and I might call it the, the age of grace. Or we might call it the church age. I don't care what you call it, it doesn't make any difference. To me, I just know it's not the wrath of God yet. And before it becomes the wrath of God... The Lord will call his church home. He will call his church home. And it is Messiah that will announce both of those days. So again, let's look back at verse 27. Five minutes. Lord have mercy on my soul. Okay, so here's what happens. He makes a covenant. When you read Revelation chapter 6, so much to talk about. When you read Revelation chapter 6, it starts with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Are you guys, you guys familiar? The first horseman is a rider on a white horse who has a bow. Now, I would argue it's not a bow like a bow and arrow. I would argue it's a bow like a rainbow, which would indicate he's coming to offer peace. Now, what follows him? The next horseman is war. Right? So, he comes. What did Daniel say would happen? The prince of the people who is to come would come and make a peace treaty with the nation of Israel for seven years. Seven year peace treaty. But what's he going to do? It says for half of the week, um, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations. It means there's going to be a lot of bad things he does. But on the wing of abomination shall come one that makes desolate. Jesus said, When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, run. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until first there is a rebellion, there will be a falling away within the church. People will leave the faith. Paul warned about it. The disciples warned about it. Jesus warned about it. There will be a rebellion, an apostasia that happens first. And then the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will be revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat, where? In the temple of God and proclaims himself to be God. The abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. He's going to make a lot of abominations. In, in the middle of the, of the week, he's going to put an end to sacrifice, and offering. He is on the wings of abominations. A lot of, lot of things he's going to do. You've got the mark of the beast in there. You've got a lot of things, a lot of events that are going to be taking place during that period of time. But there will come one that is what the Lord called the abomination that makes desolate. For which it's all going to come down. And when the Lord says, when you see that, Matthew 24, when you see this happen, get out of dodge. Get away. Because the wrath of God will continue to be being poured out upon the world in that time. The treaty will be broken at the three and a half year point. The Messiah will return at the end of the seven years to save the nation before she can be destroyed by the armies of the Antichrist. We've all read the story of the Battle of Armageddon. Gog and Magog gathered together for battle. That sounds familiar, right? I know for those of you who are Ezekiel if he went with me through Ezekiel. You're, you're watching the news right now and you go, but Jackie says not Russia. Well, I didn't say Russia wouldn't start a war. I said Gog and Magog represents every wicked king who tries to rise up and rule the world. Not just Russia. Could be us. (laughs) So, so will there be, have there been multiple Gogs and Magogs? For sure, the Bible has talked about them. And we know there's at least two more coming. You read about them in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, chapter 20. So, Some reconciliation that we do with that. But there will be uh, um, this, uh, this rising up and rebellion to destroy the nation of Israel. And Messiah is going to save her. The revenge of the Lord on the Antichrist. It is determined, it says in verse 27. Until the decree end is poured out on the desolator that means this is happening there's no clause of escape Daniel 2:44 I'm just going to share several scriptures as we close Daniel 2:44 says in those days or in the days of those kings the God of heaven will set up his kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to any other people it shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it will stand forever the kingdom of god. Daniel 7:11. I looked because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Destruction of the beast. Daniel 7:26. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. How long is his kingdom? Second Thessalonians 2.8 And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth, and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming when he returns. Revelation 14. Nine and ten. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships a beast and its image receives a mark on his forehead or in his hand, uh, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength to the cup of his anger, and be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Uh, Don't take the mark of the beast. By the way, it's not a vaccine. You You don't have to take the vaccine. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Just so we can be clear. The vaccine is also not a chip that you get installed. It may be at some point. But when the mark of the beast comes, it's going to be attached to worship. If you pay attention, those who worship the beast, worship the beast. That's taking the mark. Worship the beast. This is the kind of thing that occurred in Rome before. Finally, Revelation 19. We're only like three minutes late. Revelation 19:19. 19, 19, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Jesus will return. There will be one final battle. Gog against Magog. It will be over fast. Jesus doesn't need our help. The enemies are destroyed. It says, by the breath of his mouth, by the sword that comes from his mouth, the Bible tells us the sword is the word of God. Jesus Christ is God the word. When he speaks, the armies cannot stand. When Jesus was arrested and they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, he said, ego I me, I am. And what they do? They all fell down. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, And this is how Daniel 9, the interpretation of Daniel 9, establishes the eschatology that we hold uh, Calvary Chapel Buell. If you have any questions, we can talk some more about it. That's four weeks, and Daniel 9 is probably longer than anybody should spend there. But if you have questions, I'd be happy to uh, talk about them with you. Next week, we'll take a look at Daniel chapter 10. You ready? Uh, It's not over yet. There's a whole lot more stuff in Daniel. So, uh, would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come. uh, Behold your word. The, The words of the prophecy of this book. So incredible, so precise. We don't have to wonder. We may... Uh, argue over and fiddle with concepts of timing. But the one thing that we know for certain is that the world is in opposition to God. And there will be a day when he puts that opposition down. When he rules as king of kings and lord of lords. And the kingdom that he establishes will be eternal. Lord, we thank you for the promise of scripture. For the promise of of Daniel laying out for us, God, your design, that you knew the day it was decreed and you came. And I would say that the day of your return is also decreed. You just didn't tell us the time. You told us, be ready. So God, I pray, my brothers and sisters in this place, it would be our desire to be found ready when you come, to have our eyes lifted up, for the prize, to receive the crown of rejoicing that we will have on the day when we see our Savior call us to him. What a glorious day that will be. Lord, we thank you from now till then, God, that we know that it is you who hold us in the palm of your hand. So we give you thanks and praise for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.